Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their f***. What's up, y'all? Welcome on into the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Ryan Callahan, and Ben McKee coming to you from Neyland Stadium here. We are in the uh, the visiting coaches press box here at Neyland Stadium. And uh, the visiting coaches in this game walked away without a victory. Tennessee 20, Texas A&M 13. Not the most aesthetically, offensively, pleasing game that you will ever see, certainly. Uh, Lots of good, lots of bad to discuss. Um, But at the end of the day, we're going to pick over a lot of bones here, guys. Tennessee, at the end of the day, beat Texas A&M, favored by three, won by seven. Should have been bigger. It wasn't. Should have been cleaner. It wasn't. But it was a win. It absolutely was. And you – or – you just kind of said it, and I was going to say that Josh Heupel hit the nail on the head in his postgame press conference saying uh, that, that you celebrate every single win in this league, and that is absolutely uh, the truth. And I do kind of feel like as a college, college football society and a sports society, we have over the last, I don't know how many years, but we've gotten kind of away from just celebrating wins. The if older it, the internet gets and the older social media gets, the more we go into that. Yep. It's it's no longer about getting wins. It's it's about getting wins and looking great in the process and, and beating teams by fifty. And and if you don't do that, then you're terrible. And that that is certainly not the case. But uh, a really nice win for Tennessee. There are certainly things to uh, discuss that that did not go well for Tennessee. And and we will get to that Joe Milton conversation. He did not play well tonight. For for those uh, that are wanting us to to say that and, and have that discussion, we will have that conversation at the end of the podcast just letting you know now we will eventually talk about that but uh joe milton or tennessee was able to win despite joe milton playing poorly because a they ran the football down the throat of a texas a&m rush defense that was statistically the best in the country entering the game uh, and then defensively man tim banks earned his paycheck tonight and obviously not just tim banks uh, all of the assistant coaches, and, and I guess in the world of NIL, the players earned their paycheck t- tonight uh, as well. Good so they, they they played really, really well defensively. Uh, D. Williams had the two plays of the game, uh, downing the ball at the one-yard line. Uh, Tennessee's defense forces A&M to punt from their end zone, and then he houses that punt return touchdown that uh, was the difference in the game. And uh, the secondary coming up with two big interceptions at the end, Gabe Judy Lally and uh, Kamal Haddon as well. So passing game was poor, but you, you ran the ball uh, whenever, wherever you wanted to. And, and the defense, I, I think, played the best game of the, the Hypo career tenure so far. I would agree with that. Off the top of my head, yes, I would say so. Uh, 
only one that comes to mind this or two that come to mind that are maybe in that discussion would be Kentucky last year, LSU last year. I thought both of those were really impressive. But um, and, and those and, and at least LSU might have been a better offensive team. That's one thing I'll, I will say that asterisk there. Texas A&M, to me, not a very impressive offensive team with Max Johnson, but certainly they're a team capable of scoring more than 13 points. And Tennessee, to their credit, uh, made things really difficult for them. Uh, but, yes, that it can't be said enough. You celebrate the win. This was a game that we said was one that was going to change the outlook for the rest of the season for whoever lost this game. And so Texas A&M, no question about it. This is a big year for Jimbo Fisher, obviously, and, and everybody uh, has known that. And now back-to-back losses to Alabama and Tennessee – their season doesn't look like it's going to end the way they wanted, the way they hoped it would. Tennessee, if they had lost this game, we might have been talking in similar in similar tones about them. Uh, might have been saying, hey, eight wins is the ceiling for this team now going to Alabama and with Georgia coming up next month. Now, hey, the SEC East is still in play. So uh, this this was a huge win just for, um, for, for, for the big picture, for, for what they can accomplish this season, and give them credit for finding a way to win in a game that was clearly – foreign to everyone on this coaching staff. Uh, Josh Heupel said it in his post-game comments um, that he hadn't been in one like that before, and I felt like it showed at times. I thought he showed that he's not mm-hmm. used to coaching in low-scoring games because I thought he passed up points twice uh, when, when he shouldn't have. You know, It was early in the game with the first one, fourth and two. You can maybe uh, explain that one a little bit uh, a little bit better because you didn't know exactly what kind of game it was going to be at that point, but I was under the assumption going into this game that 30, 31 points might be enough to win and if that's the case, I'm not passing up an early field goal. That's just me. But certainly later in the game, fourth and seven, you can question that one. But I think that's partly because Josh Heupel's used to coaching in games where he scores 30 or 40 points. It's not a big deal to, to pass up three points sometimes when you know you can go up and down the field. And they did that at times. They just didn't finish drives. And that's obviously something we'll discuss a little bit later, uh, what, where this offense kind of goes from here. But uh, it's it was not a pretty day, but give them a lot of credit for, for playing as well as they did defensively, holding Texas A&M to 54 rushing yards. And as you said, Ben, rushing for 232 against a defense that um, wasn't best in the country, but best in the SEC, certainly. 84 yards a game going into this game, and Tennessee rushes for 232. That is not something I expected to see. And they, they found some some pretty big holes, in J- and Jalen Wright ran really, really well. I thought he had a great day, averaged more than seven yards a carry, ha- had some moments where he had back-to-back plays with 10-plus yards, just um, kind of ripping off some chunk plays there against an AM defense that's not used to that. So... Tennessee deserves credit. Ugly win, sure, but a, a lot of positives still. And, and, and overcame a bunch of penalties, too. I mean, things that didn't go well, and they managed to overcome all that and fight through some adversity and still win against a pretty good team. Yeah, I think as much as Ben likes to joke, and I do believe he is joking, but he likes to joke and say that I like to tell people how they should feel or what they should feel. I don't believe in telling anyone how they should feel about anything. I can tell you what I feel about something, and I think – as people who can be somewhat removed from this, sometimes for us, you know, there, there's a lot of fans who are very hardcore fans who look at every single thing that happens through the prism of what's happening in Knoxville, Tennessee, what's happening with the Vols, and not what's happening everywhere else. I think what I I mentioned this on social media, on the board there at, at 24-7 Sports, at, at Checkerboard on Go Vols 24-7, I'll say it again here. Tennessee fans right now have a lot of frustration about things, and a lot of it is justified. However, you're looking at one of the three happiest fan bases in the SEC right now, or should be. You know, if you're Georgia, you're still really happy. Now, there's some things that you want to be a lot better, like today even for the dogs. 
Um, maybe the way things have been going with Mizzou a little bit, maybe they're feeling better about things. You know, there, there's, there's other teams in the league who are feeling okay about things. But there's a whole lot more fans. Like, look who Tennessee's playing next week. Alabama's frustrated as hell right now with what that program's used to, what's going on right now. Now, I will say, on one hand, the SEC being just totally up in the air with a lot of things this season makes it more frustrating that if you could have airdropped last season's Tennessee team into this season's SEC, you might be looking at the SEC champion and you might be looking at the national champion. But every year is different. And this season, uh, Tennessee isn't the only team that looks to be a little bit off the pace from what it was last season. I would say virtually the entire SEC, um, not, not all of it, but most of it is worse than it was last season. And so that makes it more frustrating in a sense. But that also means, guys, you're at the halfway point of the season now. And you have one loss. It's an SEC play. You control your own destiny. And right now, hey, it might be a different story exactly one week from now. Things might be different. But even if Tennessee goes down to Tuscaloosa and loses, weirder things have happened. You know, th- this thing is there. It's a weird year. And embrace it. You're in the fight. You're still very much in the fight. Yeah, again, we've gotten away from appreciating wins for, for what they are. Are there some wins that, that look different than others and shouldn't be necessarily celebrated? Like I think of uh, Alabama sneaking one out against USF on the road. Like, sure, that, that is not one that fans uh, should celebrate. Or, or I, to, to put it in Tennessee terms, I think back to uh, the end of the Butch Jones era when Tennessee, what was it, barely beat UMass and North Texas – like the, those were ugly games. I, I was sitting in the stands as a student, and, and the, those those are wins I'm, that that I'm not referencing that should be celebrated. But those wins are different than beating Texas A&M by a touchdown. We we all knew for the most part that this was going to be a low scoring knockout, drag out type of a football game going into it, and that's exactly what it was. Wes and I talked about it on the game day podcast. I believe the the two of you each picked Tennessee to score 27, uh, and I picked 24 points. And, like, that's a low-scoring football game. So we expected the game to, to kind of play out the way that it did uh, tonight. Maybe, maybe not Joe be as poor as he, he was and the passing game not be as poor as it was. Uh, I did not, not expect the, the rushing game to have as much success as, as they had. Uh, but even Patrick, I think Patrick predicted 30, 31 points for, for Tennessee. And What an idiot. <laughs> well, my, my point in, in mentioning that is, like, that that's a decent amount of points in an SEC football game. But by Josh Heupel's standards, it's not. So, uh, again, th- this is a really good win, even if it was low scoring. Low scoring wins are okay. And it was against a, a fairly solid football program that has had more success uh, within the last five to ten years than, than Tennessee has. And, and you kind of – uh, asserted your dominance over them in a sense. So uh, I, I do think we've gotten away from appreciating wins, and, and this is a win that you should absolutely appreciate because A&M has been one of the better programs in the SEC over the last decade, uh, and you're, you kept your SEC East title hopes alive tonight, and, and you did so. Uh, in, in some ways, I, I almost think that the program made a statement tonight. Obviously, you, you do want – uh, to be better in the passing game, and, and it was disappointing to see that. But you proved that you're just not a, a passing team, and, and that's the only way that, that you win games. I, I think by winning 
the way that they did tonight, I think that shows that last year was not a fluke because the best programs win in multiple ways. And I think Tennessee is starting to show that. Ben, that, that's exactly the point I was about to make. I, th I think this program is showing growth um, by winning a game like this. That you know, Last year, look at what the hand-wringing was about, a, a pass defense that was allowing 300-plus yards a game on average. <laughs> now we're talking about a defense that just held Texas A&M, not an elite offense by any means, but a solid one, to 277 yards, 54 rushing yards, and, and basically put pressure on Max Johnson throughout the game. Um, that's tremendous growth on the defensive side of the ball. This team's already put up much better defensive numbers than a year ago. Their pass defense numbers are largely different from last year. I mean, no one's really throwing for, for 300-plus on them. And, and there, there aren't a lot of great quarterbacks in the SEC this year. That's probably going to be part of it. But the, the passing numbers at the end of the year look like they're going to end up being very solid. Um, so th this this program showing growth. And, and to the greater point, I would, I would certainly hope Tennessee fans can – I mean, you can do both. You can complain, certainly, about a win while still being yeah, happy we're gonna about have, it. Yeah, we're going to have criticisms, a bunch of them in the second Sure, and that's, and that's what I think uh, I, I would hope most Tennessee fans are at that point where it's okay to criticize things and still appreciate that, hey, they're 5-1, and one, and Tennessee hasn't been 5-1 and one a whole lot over the past decade. Um, you're still s establishing yourself as one of those top programs in the SEC and winning this game and finding a way to win games like this where things don't go perfectly is a big step in that process. So I think it shows – growth. I think it shows maturity. I think a game like this also underscores something that we talked about going into the season. There's a lot of seniors on this football team and a lot of experience. And, and I think it, it really shows up in a game like this where it's a lot of, hey, been there, done that. And you don't get shaken when things go against you, when you have 12 penalties for 115 yards. I mean, a lesser team would have crumbled a little bit when they had some of those potentially back-breaking penalties. Instead, Tennessee still made some stops after, after making costly costly mistakes like that time and time again so sure a ton to clean up they're going to have an awful film session I'm sure on Sunday at going back and looking over all the mistakes but at the end of the day to find a way to win a game like this against a very quality opponent uh, hard to complain too much about that because it beats the alternative for sure it does and I think there's we can sit here and you know last season when Tennessee won some games like what 50 to 49, whatever it was, 45, 42. There, there have been several of those over the past couple of years. We said after those games, listen, this defense is not good, but the offense was good. So I'm not going to sit here one year later or two years later in some cases and not note the defense being so much better. Like we can't – we have to discuss that. Like it's like it's half of the game, right, or a third of the game, whatever you want to call it, right? And uh, it, it tends It's just to, as important as the offense. Yeah, it's literally <laughs> – it's the exact same thing. You know, it's it's – what it is not as sexy but just as important and Tennessee special teams aside from a missed field goal tonight also excellent made the two arguably biggest plays in the in the football game that we mentioned earlier and Texas A&M's defense guys number one rushing defense in college football and in the SEC, in the SEC I mean and has played near the tops uh, nationally and has played some some good teams this season you know there, there's been some 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 tough-ish games certainly a tougher schedule than Tennessee's Alabama ran for what 23 yards on them 22 yeah. And Tennessee just two hundred and and thirty two yards on them. Yeah, and 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 that's you know there were probably forty plus yards, maybe fifty plus yards taken back via penalty, which we'll talk about in the second segment. But again, there there was a lot of yards also left out there on the field that had nothing to do with the running backs. I mean, those guys ran I think really well all night. I think for the most part, plays where those guys were stopped were when they had nowhere to go. When they had places to go, they got there. 
And Jabari Small, I thought, is a guy who occasionally people are kind of like, ah, why is he still getting carried? He's still producing. He had, in the first half especially in this game, he looked about as good as I can remember him kind of looking in a couple. I thought he looked about as good as he has in, in this game. I don't know what the stats say, but he had a couple of very, very, very nice runs. And Jalen Wright, you know, we kept saying there's going to be games where they're going to have to say screw it and just force feed him the ball because he's your best player on offense probably. And he, he showed that in this game. He, he, he took it right down the throat of a very, very, very good defense on the ground. Uh, ran right through him at times, ran around him at times, and he had a really, really, really big game. They absolutely did, and, and Jalen Wright continues to say that those backs believe that they are the best running back room in the country. And, and it's hard to disagree at this point. We, we kind of talked about it week one and week two uh, before we had a greater sample size. and. Uh, just mentioned that we'll, we'll see how it plays out. And obviously, we're not covering every program in the country. So so we're not as familiar as we'd like to be on, on every running back room in the country. But hard to envision uh, a, a room having three game-ready guys that, that can go in uh, in any situation and are more than capable of producing. Uh, so now that we're, what, five, six games into the season now, six, uh, it, it's hard to find another trio in the country that, that is better than the one that uh, Tennessee has in Jalen Wright, Jabari Small, uh, and Dylan Sampson. And, and you have to give a ton of credit to, to the offensive line as well. This is the same offensive line uh, that got bullied uh, by the Gators in the swamp. And uh, that Florida defensive front isn't bad, but it's also not great. Uh, I, I think South Carolina's is just as good up front defensively, and A&M's defensive front is is obviously uh, terrific as well. And, and they were pushing those guys around in the running game and opening up massive holes, not not slight creases for, for those guys to get skinny, get small, and, and burst through. I mean, they, they were massive holes that Wes could have run through. I mean, that, that's how big the holes were Let's up front along it. the line. Uh, so you have to give a ton of credit to, to those guys. Cooper Mays has completely changed the outlook uh, up front along the line. I think Gerald Mincy has as well. Now that position is all of a sudden really banged up. When you look at Andre Carrick not being available tonight, uh, Ollie Lane struggled, especially there in the first half with a couple of holding calls. Uh, Gerald Mincy got banged up, and I don't believe he came back into the football game. I think he was a little banged up going into the game, and it got worse. Yes, he, he got banged up against Carolina, and then he had a moment where uh, he dove for the fumble. Uh, I, I believe it was Joe that fumbled it, or maybe it was running back. Uh, but he dove and was kind of slow getting up, and, and he was walking around gingerly on the field afterwards as well. Uh, and yeah, the, the Samson fumble and, and Jeremiah Crawford. He was dressed tonight, but he, he's also banged up. I, I don't know that he was actually available, even though he was dressed out. So that unit is banged up right now. It's playing its best football of the season, which is huge going into Alabama because Alabama's defensive front is just as good as Texas A&M's. Um, but that that is something to, to watch going forward. But they, they were terrific tonight. It is statistically they they are the best rushing game in the SEC and hard to envision a better running back room right now than Tennessee's yeah and, and I think uh, unless you got almost I was going to move to defense right unless you got anything oh, else on the running game yeah I was going to add I, I give Tennessee a lot of credit we I, I know I had talked about this and I think some other people have too uh, you know a lot there will probably be some things picked apart uh, for, on, on Tennessee's you know game plan or whatever when it comes to the the passing game probably some things about penalties Give Tennessee's staff a lot of credit, though, for leaning into the run game in this game. I, I think that's something they need to do on a more regular basis, not necessarily every game. Um, and it always is going to depend on how it works and who has the hot hand and all that. But 
49 rushes, 22 passes. And that was totally justified in this game. That was the way to win this game, and they did that. Um, they ran Joe Milton some, um, which you know, that was some of his choice. Um, certainly, he, well, again, we'll, we'll get to his mistakes in a minute, which included um, running out of bounds a yard short of a first down uh, on a free play. On a free play. I'll never understand that one. But, um, but, but even with that, you know, they, were, they, mixed in some, they mixed in an option play where he kept it. You know, it did some, some good things with him, but they, they realized pretty early on that, hey, the run game is working. Stick with it. And, uh, and maybe just realizing that this team's identity is going to have to be this running game and that you might have to – you might almost have to run to set up the pass. You know, we were kind of seeing the opposite in the press That's box early in the game. That's what I thought going into the game. I would, I, I would pass to set up I thought the they run. needed to throw to set up the run in this game, but it ended up being, you know, a game where they were still able to, to be effective with the run game. And, hey, two games in, this was the other thing I wasn't sure about after South Carolina because they were okay up front but not great. Two games in with Cooper Mays, this looks like a noticeably different offensive line. They're pushing people around in a way they weren't before. They're they're finding a lot more seams in the run game uh, than they than they were before Cooper Mays came back, and that's a big deal for this team to have that kind of ability to run the ball. If they can do this to anybody they play, short of maybe Alabama or Georgia, which will obviously be a big big test, but if they can do that to almost anyone they play, that that changes everything completely because that's. I mean, 200 yards a game is a big deal in the run game. Yeah, and, and Tennessee's going to need to lean on that as, as you know, kind of the weather turns a little bit, gets a little nasty, nastier late in the year, guys get a little sore. That comes down to toughness in the run game quite a bit. It does. And Tennessee, um, the, the one negative there, there were several times in this game, third and short, moments like that, where they got blown up up front. And for, for all I know, that, that could have been – you know, Milton making the wrong decision. That could have been. That could have been a lot of different things. I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll, you know, coaches will break down film and let us know what happened there. But it looked like they just kind of got whipped up front a couple of times on those short yardage plays. Got to clean that up. By and large, though, really, really, really good. But it, go ahead, Ben. They did go seven of fifteen. I, I agree with what you're saying. But they were better on third down than maybe they have been at times this season. I, I, I think that they can be a little predictable in those short yardage situations. Uh, Except for the one where Keaton dropped the touchdown pass. My yes. God, what a great call that was. Yes, absolutely. And kudos to Joe for getting that, that pass off uh, as well. But they were also 0-2 in fourth down situations uh, as well. So it feels like short yardage has been hit or miss. And that is something that they're going to have to improve upon uh, quick, fast, and in a hurry. Because if, if you want to win on the road at Alabama, you've got to be able to sustain drives and pick up short yardage first downs. You you have to, especially uh, on the road. But my last thought, uh, it felt like you were about to go to break, but my last thought on the rushing attack, Joe Milton, well, again, we're going to get to that conversation. He, he doesn't inspire confidence going to Tuscaloosa. On the flip side, after watching today's performance, Tennessee's rushing attack and the way the offensive line played against that Texas A&M defensive front, that is equally as talented as Alabama's. It's, it's a little bit different. I think Alabama's stronger on the edges uh, with Dallas Turner leading the way there. I think A&M's stronger in the middle. Alabama is stronger out on the edges. If, if that translates, which I, I hard not to believe it, it won't with the way they played tonight, that that, although Joe may not inspire confidence going to Tuscaloosa, the way they ran the ball and, and – uh, protected him for the most part and was able to open up some holes in the running game. That does inspire confidence going on the road. It will, It will. I think, translate to some extent if you can avoid false start penalties and procedural things and things like that on the road that get you behind the sticks because this offense just doesn't really want to be 
behind the sticks too often, which is so comical to say uh, of a of a Tennessee offense after the past couple of years. But you know, you don't want to be behind the sticks with this bunch. You just don't. And and, and on top of that, a defense that clearly will travel. Uh, the way they're rushing the passer right now, they they got a chance to slow down anybody in the country. They had. Line doesn't look good. Yeah, Alabama's offensive line is, is vulnerable to your point, Ben. Um, and, you know, tonight only two sacks for Tennessee, one each, of course, by James Pierce and Tyler Barron, but eleven hurries. And they and they affected a lot of plays. Two interceptions, I'd give them an assist on at least one of those um, with the pressure they got on Max Johnson. So they were in his face. He took a bunch of hits in this game. Um, so they're they're getting pressure. They're uh, they're stopping the run pretty well, and not not just like lockdown, but today 54 yards on 28 carries. I mean, that they've done that. Um, they, what they did against Florida and South Carolina, aside from the big plays, they did that and they cut out the big play in this game. Only 19 yards was uh, was the longest run of the game for Texas A&M. So they cleaned up a lot of that stuff, which I thought was big. Um, so if that defense keeps playing that way, um, that 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 will travel. Alabama's offense they showed against Arkansas, 24 points today. It's not. It, this is not an Alabama team where you go in thinking we got to score 38 to have a chance to win. I mean, it, it may be a rock fight again next week. Uh, we'll, we'll see if it turns into that kind of game, but it's very possible. And we can't go too much farther without pointing out the obvious here. D. Williams might have won them the game um, with the plays yeah. that he made on, on consecutive series, downing a punt at the one-yard line on punt coverage, and then coming back in Tennessee making a great decision not to go after the punt, setting up for the return with Texas A&M kicking out of their own end zone. Knowing that with the wind the way it was in that game and the punter not kicking especially great for Texas A&M, that D. Williams would probably get a chance to return one, and he did, and he takes it back 39 yards and gives Tennessee the lead. Ended up being the only touchdown of the second half. Um, that, that's, that was a huge, huge swing in the game, and those two plays by D. Williams might have might have changed the outcome. Uh, you, you never know what would have happened without that. So uh, pretty impressive job there on special teams. You knew D. Williams was going to get one eventually, um, and for him to get it in a big spot like that was huge. Yeah, I, I think at least 90 to 95% of the punt return specialists in college football are tackled at the 35-yard line on that play because Williams was dead to rights at the 35. But but he, and ironically, it was against A&M's 12th man that he kind of juked him out of his britches, then quickly ran around two other guys and made it look much, much simpler than it was. Those guys had angles on him. And, and he picked up some great blocks there from, from freshman cornerbacks, uh, Ricky Gibson III, uh, and Christian Conyer had some really nice blocks on that. And, and that was they were able – uh, to get that done, and, and I, I thought, you know, and let's let, let's not forget one thing in that too. The first couple of attempts of his career for Jackson Ross did not go great. Even tonight with the swirling wind, he had maybe one punt that wasn't very good. Um, but he is consistently now, more often than not, a very good punter already, and you can see why Tennessee is so excited. I mean, the, those punting numbers and conditions like that tonight uh, were excellent. And to get that ball stopped like that, he's been kind of unfortunate with the spin a couple times to not get any more of them kind of pinned inside the five. But he got that one. It wasn't just D. Williams making the play. It was Ross giving him a chance to make the play. And I thought that was just enormous for Tennessee. It was. One more thought on the defense before we probably transition to some offense stuff. Uh, shout out to Gabe Judy Lally and Kamal Haddon for making huge interceptions in the fourth quarter there to help them seal the win. But uh, Kamal Haddon, I noticed – Got a little bit of a cheer from fans before the game. I think yeah. he's kind of winning some people over. He it just seems needs like. love, apparently. He just yeah. needs love. But he, uh, you know, he, he kind of called out some fans for for booing him and things like that on social media, and uh, and and rightfully so, probably because he he's played well this season uh, to the point that I heard recently that he's on some NFL 
scouting boards that he's 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 getting some NFL attention now. So um, he's graded well on, on PFF for good for, length for the position. Yeah, and and showing that he's he's capable of. of being pretty consistently good in coverage, so he's had he's still the type of player that I think has some moments where where he's not you know he's going to cause some head scratching uh, among fans for sure. But fewer and fewer of those moments, and since the Florida game, it seems like he's responded well over the past few weeks. So give him a lot of credit for coming up with a big play in a big spot again after his pick six in the South Carolina game. Very last uh, thing I'll say really quickly before we go to break, uh, we we mentioned the pressure by the defensive line. Roman Harrison was extremely unfortunate uh, to not have another huge play. Uh, in this game, really something that could have turned his season around and maybe still will. Um, That was a really big, let's call it what it was. It was a sack, and when he was going in for the sack, he hit the face mask, and it was the right call. It's a 15-yard penalty, um, but that would have been a huge play, and that would have pinned A&M again back inside its five-yard line uh, in a really big spot there, and that could have have maybe made things more comfortable for for Tennessee in the long run. But I I thought that was still a a good step forward for him uh, tonight in some ways, Uh, and a lot of good things. A lot of good things for Tennessee in this game. It's easy to sit here and say there weren't, but no, there were. There were, there, there, there were, there were some good things in that football game for Tennessee tonight. One more related to that: James Pierce, five hurries in this game, two tackles for loss. That guy is a one-man. Yeah, he's a monster. For, yeah. Monster. I mean, this isn't just a sophomore taking a big step at this point. He's legitimately one of the best pass rushers in the country. Yeah, he is, uh, and he's going to make a tremendous amount of money playing this game. He will be an early-round pick next season, and. Uh, and he will be gone and making a lot three of years. money. Three years, yep. Yeah, he's a three-year guy. There's no question about it. Yeah, Jalen Wright's gone this season, and he's gone next season. There's just very little doubt about that. Um, but they're still here for a while, still got at least half a season. Uh, that was the good for, for Tennessee. There also obviously uh, was some bad, um, some particularly on the offensive side of the ball. We're not going to ignore it. We told you we weren't, and we're not going to. Before we do that, though, we are overdue for a break. Step away for just a second, pay some bills, listen to product services, in-house ads, and then be right back here on the Koval's 24-7 podcast, hashtag ad. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. Wes Rucker, Ben McKee, and Ryan Callahan coming to you from Neyland Stadium where the 19th-ranked Tennessee Volunteers uh, have just defeated Texas A&M 22-13. A much different-looking score from most of the Josh Heupel era. Um, Shouldn't have been, but it was. And uh, we will have more to discuss about that in a second. We'll see what happens with the balls and the polls this week. Although uh, I imagine they won't drop USC below Tennessee, and they'll probably put Notre Dame over Tennessee after this one. So Tennessee might somehow drop even after uh, after winning this game. But regardless, you get there at the end of the season where you need to be most of the time. So it's at least going to be a top 20 showdown in Tuscaloosa. No question about it. Um, And there is a lot more we're going to discuss on this episode. Before we do that, though, just a quick request from our end. Please go in there if you can. Take about a minute out of your day, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're just listening on the website at GoBalls247.com, nothing wrong with that. No wrong way to consume this podcast. Would help us out a lot more, though, if you went in there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, Amazon, anywhere in the world. You can cast the fine pod. You can find this GoBalls247 podcast. Do this for free. We're happy to do it. It's a labor of love. No complaints. However, since we're doing it for free, I don't think it's too much to ask to go rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. Tell people at tailgates. Tell people that you see around town. Tell people you see at church tomorrow. Tell people you see anywhere that you see them. And if you're already doing all that stuff, thank you. We love you. If not... I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Bad stuff. Uh, Bad, bad stuff in this game. I'll say this quickly, and then we'll get the conversation going. 
two important topics here. One, it was not just Joe Milton III, but two, it was primarily Joe Milton III. Uh, in my opinion, anyways, I cannot remember him having a worse game for Tennessee. Uh, I just did not think – I don't know that he was consistently making the wrong decisions. I actually think he knew – he was going in the right areas with the ball most of the time. Not the interception, um, but the other times, I thought he was going in the right places. He was just going there a half second to a second late. Uh, and if you're going there a half second to a second late at this level, you're not going to the right place. Uh, he's got to speed up that clock. He's got to make better decisions. Uh, he's got to, you know, he's just got to be a little bit better or, or else this Tennessee team um, will be at best maybe uh, at a bowl in Jacksonville. He has got to play better. They were, they were able to dodge it tonight wasn't just him. Ramel Keaton dropped a touchdown pass that was right in the right in the bucket there. Uh, second time this season. He's got to play better. But Joe Milton III, let's not dance around it. He's got to play better. He does. And, you know, it's one of those chicken or egg conversations for me, though, because this is very no <laughs> very notably, we've discussed this a lot the past two weeks, Tennessee's first game without Brew McCoy. And the results were not pretty. Um, I don't think Tennessee is very dynamic at the receiver position right now, aside from Squirrel White. Uh, I think that was kind of evident in this and a &M game. A&M kind of bottled him up. A&M did a good job against Squirrel, kept him to three catches, 29 yards. I mean, their leading receiver was Chaz Nimrod, who was a, not a surprise starter, but I don't think a lot of people counted on him starting uh, in this game and playing as much as he did. Finished with four catches for 31 yards. Had some thir nice third-down catches to move the chains early in the game. So he had some moments, but, you know, no catches for Ramel Keaton, as you said. Obviously a big drop that could have been a touchdown. Um, just – you know, he, it's not been not been a great year for him so far. You know, he 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 needs to have a better second half of the season if this game, if this team is going to have a a well-rounded offense, obviously down the stretch. But th this game uh, obviously raised a lot of concerns. Joe Milton did not have his best performance to to say the least, and he did this on the heels of a South Carolina game where I thought that was his worst game of the year because he threw two interceptions, and now he backs that up with throwing another pick in a bad spot in the in the red zone. Could have at least had a field goal on that drive, and, and that could have been a big point in the game, obviously. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the just head-scratching decision to run out of bounds short of the first down marker on a third down that he seemed to know was a free play. Now, maybe he missed the flag. If it's a free play, use that yeah. arm, fella. Right. And, yeah, just throw the ball. But if you're not, if you are going to keep that, stick the ball out there. Stretch for the first down. If you're afraid of taking the hit or whatever, you can stretch the ball knowing you're not going to fumble. So it made me wonder, did he see the flag? You would hope that he did, but maybe he wasn't aware that was a free play. Regardless, that was a third down. You got to, you know, he took a hit later in the game. He lowered his shoulder at one, at one point. Um, and then you're not going to go for the first down there on third I down? I think he just didn't know where he was. And the, the first down marker is right in front of him, though. How does how, that? So, anyway, whatever the explanation, that one's a head scratcher on multiple fronts. But yeah, 11 of 22, 100 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. That's less than five yards per pass attempt. I mean, that's, I, I mentioned uh, last week or earlier this week, 7.1 yards per pass attempt this season going into this game, by far the lowest in Josh Heupel's head coaching career for one of his offenses. And you're way below that number in this game. This passing game is just not anywhere close to the level we expected it to be this year. Um, and I, I wonder after tonight what this passing game is going to look like the rest of the year without Brew McCoy and, and whether they can get things to another level, whether it's Caleb Webb, Chaz Nimrod, Dante Thornton, who we saw out there a little bit, had a drop that went right into McAllen Castle's hands. They were fortunate to, for him to catch that ball, but just, just not pretty. And, and I don't know who's more at fault, but obviously Joe Milton is a big part of that. 
Yeah, Ben, I'm thinking about maybe giving Brew McCoy one of the offensive game balls in this game just because maybe in hindsight there's a couple that I should have given him that I didn't. <laughs> they certainly missed him tonight, and, and we obviously all knew that coming into the game that, that they were going to miss Brew McCoy. He, he is an NFL-level receiver, uh, and they certainly missed his impact tonight. There were a couple of uh, perimeter plays where, where it was obvious they could have used his blocking. Not a ton, uh, but there, there was a time or two where – uh, the, the, the blocking wasn't as great as it has been, and, and that's because Brew McCoy was not out there. So uh, it, it was just a, a really poor night for, for the passing game all around. Uh, r really offensive line excluded. Uh, I, I thought given who they were going up against, I, I thought they played pretty well and kept Joe protected for, for the most part. Obviously, you're not going to be perfect, but again, based on who they were going up against, I, I thought they protected Joe pretty well and, and gave him – uh, clean pockets to, to throw the football. I, I thought the bigger issue was was Joe holding on to the football too long when, when he did get hit. And when I say that, I, I'm not totally blaming Joe. There, there were instances, uh, Patrick and I sit next to each other. We both had our iPads pulled up, and it shows the replay, the, the end zone view, or you can see the route tree. And guys are not open down the field, and, and that speaks to what Ryan was just talking about. Uh, they're just not as dynamic at receiver as they have been the first two seasons. Uh, at least at this moment, they are not. I did like what I saw from Chaz Nimrod. You obviously have trust in, in Squirrel White. They've got to find a way to get Ramel Keaton going. I don't, I don't know if he needs to switch back to number 80. Uh, but, but these drops are pretty inexcusable. I mean, the uh, fifth-year college football player? It's got to be between the years right now. It's got to be something there. I mean, it's just – Yes, it appears to be, but I don't care what it is. You, you got to get it figured out. It's, it's as simple as that. Uh, but you got to get him going. You got to get Dante Thornton going. And if you can, I think you pair them with uh, Squirrel. And, and if Chaz can prove to be consistent, and I think Caleb Webb made a nice play at some point when he got in there. So I think they can be better. But right now, that they are very poor. Uh, so there were moments where receivers weren't open down the field and nowhere for Joe to throw the football. Uh, but there were also moments where Joe just did not see guys, w whether it be in the flat, whether it be in the second level of a guy running open. I think of the, the, the deep shot, um, kind of like a post to the pylon um, going towards the south end zone. I mean, he missed somebody wide open in the flat. I, I believe it was Squirrel who came in motion, missed him wide open in the flat. He missed Jacob Warren, I believe, coming over wide open over the middle of the football field at the second level and tried to force it into double coverage to the guy who can't catch the football right now. There, there just seems to be a, a lack of, of football IQ, quite frankly. And, mm -hmm. and that's not something that I, I like to put on somebody, but it's just the, the awareness that, that a quarterback needs to have, that the IQ that a quarterback needs to have, it, it just doesn't seem to, to be there for whatever reason. At least it wasn't tonight. And, you know, maybe I am going a little too far because he has made mostly good decisions with the football all season long. It's just more of an execution standpoint right now. He, he's not making the throws that, that he needs to, to make. And He's got to be better if, if Tennessee is going to win on the road in Tuscaloosa. I, I do think tonight is more of how Tennessee is going to have to win this season, leaning on your defense, leaning on the run game, hoping you can make a special play, special teams play or two. Um, but they can't be as poor as they were tonight and expect to have a chance to beat Alabama and Georgia. I mean, it's that simple. Yeah, I think – See, for me, this is the second game in a row where Milton has not seen a defensive back that he should have and got picked off. 
Uh, and if that keeps happening, obviously that changes the entire storyline because the storyline with Milton, one of the things I know I've said it, I think others have said it. I've heard it from people inside the Tennessee program is that Milton takes care of the football. And that's one of the biggest reasons why they've never even considered to this point making a change. If Milton continues to be this, this loose with the ball, uh, you're going to have to think about it. Not yet. You don't go down. He is your starting quarterback going to Tuscaloosa. Uh, you have put too much into Nico Iamaliava. You do not make his first start in Tuscaloosa. You just don't do it. However, if Milton keeps performing at the level he performed today, then you have to consider making a move at some point. Now, I don't think it's there yet. Right now, it's a one-game season with Alabama. Then you go from there. But my biggest concern with Milton, it's not – I don't think football IQ is necessarily the right way I would put it anyway. Uh, maybe it is the right way. I don't know if it's the way I'd put it. I think he knows most of the time where to go with the ball. He just doesn't go there right when he needs to go there. As soon as you see it, if you look at the best quarterbacks at just about every level, right, that they do you know one or two things really, really well. They either know exactly – where they, you know, where they need to go with the ball, or, or they're improvisational to a special degree with that, with athleticism or vision or something else. And and Milton, there are times where I can see his eyes. I know he sees how open a guy is because he throws it there, but he waits half a tick or a tick to throw it. And when you do that at this level, that guy's not open anymore. That guy's going to get closed down on. That's not going to be a good play anymore. It can look like a like the second that you see a guy making his move and he's open, put it on him right then. And at this point with his age, I don't know if that's going to improve. I, I just don't. I think I, I had kind of been one of those people going into the season saying, listen, he hadn't really played that many snaps. He's practiced a lot. So let's see what he does with more game rhythm. Let's see, you know, let's see what it looks like. And this was the first game without McCoy. I get it. But th- this – there are throws that he has absolutely got to make earlier. And if he doesn't, then it's going to be a problem. I, I agree. I, I thought very well said on, on just sort of they just have all season seemed to tick off in the passing game, like just just a little bit here, a little bit there. And that, that obviously makes a big difference in the passing game, as you said, at the college level where things are just moving so fast in the SEC. Um, it, and it seems also, um, and we saw this with one or two of the, the, the drops today, even when he finding, finds guys open and makes the right throw, sometimes it's off just a hair. It's a catchable ball, but it's not an easily catchable ball. And that makes a big difference too. And some of that, you put it on the receivers, sure, but at some point you have to make their lives easier. If you want them to catch the ball, you've got to put it on them uh, right where it needs to be caught and not just a little bit behind them where they have to make a, a really impressive catch. So. Um, with this team, they, have a, they just have a smaller margin for error across the board. That's at the receiver position. That's at quarterback. That's everywhere. They, they're going to have to just execute better at what they are. I, I'm, I'm with you, Wes. I think at this point we see what Joe Milton is, and I don't think there's any expectation that he should be anything different than what we've seen to this point. He, he, is, he is what he is. He's a six-year senior. Um, that, now, that doesn't mean you give up on him. That doesn't mean he can't play better than he did tonight. Clearly he can. We've seen him. Do We've it. seen it this season. Um, but he's got to get back to, to, to playing that way, and he might have to elevate his game to elevate this team because, as we saw at the receiver position, they're going to struggle maybe a little bit without Brew McCoy, or at least it's going to take some time to transition to life without him. And they've got to, they've got to be sharper. There's just no, no way around it. And, yes, I agree. If he plays this way, there will come a point when Tennessee has to really consider making a change. I don't think we're there yet. 
Um, I don't think that you consider making a change going to Alabama. But I, I, if this offense flatlines for a long stretch of a game, I think there at least might come a point where you say, do we try Nico here to just give him a look, see what he can do? But we're not there yet. Again, you got to see what, what he does, how he responds to this. And the, the big thing he's got to change, you said it, four interceptions this season, one in every SEC game. All three SEC games he's thrown at least one pick. All four of his picks have come in the three SEC games. If he keeps doing that in conference games, it eventually is going to cost you one. So you got to you got to quit doing that. It obviously cost him the, the Florida game, or you could certainly argue that one did. So yeah, you got to make sure it doesn't cost you another game. Cut down the turnovers, and you can live with some of the other stuff. But turnovers plus the inefficiency, it's a, it's a bad combination right now. Yeah, when you're the quarterback, you're going to get more criticism than you should. You're going to get more praise than you should that's just kind of how it goes but you are the most important player on the field like you just are like that's you're you 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 are the most important especially in this era of football you are the most important player it used to be maybe like a great running back might be now the quarterback is most important guy on the field without question and and so they're going to get more criticism and, and and they should and he has to play better and I hope that he knows how much better he has to play. Um, because, again, with, with his kind of fun-loving mentality, sometimes you wonder, like, do you know? Like, do you really know? At the end of the day, do you really know how much better you got to be? Because I hope uh, for, for this team's sake and for his future in this game that he understands that, how, that he needs to play better. I will say, though, uh, I, I don't want to throw all of it, all of today, on Joe Milton III. Uh, I think Tennessee left – 12 to 24 points on the field in that game. You cannot leave that many points on the field in a football game. One of them, an interception that Milton threw, I'll give you that one. That's on Joe Milton. Uh, Other ones, not so sure. Not so sure those were all on Milton. There were other guys breaking down at points, other guys not making plays. And at a couple points in this game, I'm just going to come out and say it. I usually – like most of the decisions Josh Heupel makes in those sort of kick it or don't, go or don't situations, I think he got a few of them flat wrong in this game. I I just do. And I think the kind version is to say he's not used to coaching in a lot of these rock fights. Okay, I'll give you that one. Um, But there were moments in this game where that fourth and seven, that fourth and seven, you cannot go for that. You just can't. That is, at that point in the game, it's a 47-yard field goal. The wind's at least at your back at that point, maybe a little crossways. But you got a guy who in his career has made a lot of those kicks. Um, you you got you, you to gotta send the guy. If it's fourth and four, fourth and three, fourth and two, I'll listen to you. If it's fourth and one, go for it. But fourth and seven, at best six and a half, you have got to go for that. That one – to me, they just made the classic mistake of calling a run play on third and 11 because they thought they were going to have two downs to do it, but they thought they were going to get six, seven, eight yards on that third down run. They got four. They said, screw it, and went for it, and it was wrong, and it could have been the difference in this game. It really could have. Yeah, and, and with that field goal on fourth and seven that you're mentioning, I, I think the simplest way to put it is at that point in time, you're, you're down three, and you want to tie the game. I mean, I, I think that's the, the simplest way to, to look at it. If, if you're down – in a low-scoring game, four or five points. Okay, may, maybe I can can hear you out, but I I, I think just simply, 
Uh, and I know that the kicker had just missed one. And uh, I, I think it all, I do think on a positive note in that particular instance, I do think what played into that decision was his confidence in the defense. I, I do think that's a, a fair thing optimistically to, to point out. Um, but I, I, I just simply, you got to try to tie the game there. It's as simple as that. But uh, if you look at social media right now, Tennessee fans are, are happy that Josh Heupel is is taking accountability for his mistakes because he said after the game that if, if you looked uh, at how some situational stuff played out, obviously he made the wrong decisions. He was very accountable. And there's a team southeast of here, Shane Beamer, whose team lost another football game, and he's blaming everybody but himself and, and taking accountability. So uh, I, I, I do think that speaks volume of, of where one program is at and where the other program is at. And, and kind of going back full circle to what we talked about off the top, that there's a lot of reason for optimism right now around Tennessee football, even if there were some frustrating moments in today's game. Ryan, there just haven't been many moments since Josh Eiple's been here where I've looked at the field and looked at a decision and before the plays even snapped, said, what in the hell are you doing right now? <laughs> and that was one. I, I made sure to get the post out, both on the board and on Twitter, before before the result of the play. Because yeah. uh, even if he's like, okay, if he gets it, I'm going to look dumb here, but what the hell are you doing? Yeah, he, he normally has a good feel, I, I think, in most cases, for when to be aggressive, when not to. And, and that was one, I mean, and again, to, to Ben's point, it's not – to me, it wasn't just that it's a three-point game. It's that it's fourth and seven. It's not fourth and two. It's fourth and seven. So I, I can, you know. In a low-scoring game. Yeah, there, there are percentages, uh, you know, people who look at this that, that would tell you, you know, four, fourth and two you should go for it a lot of times, probably according to, yes. according to a lot of metrics. Um, so I, I can totally at least understand the argument in that situation. But fourth and seven is not a very high percentage play, certainly not with the way this offense and the passing game we're playing today. Um, so by that point, it's the third quarter. You've seen a lot of what's happening and the flow of the game. So I thought that was a, a, a no-brainer. The only thing that might have made it a tougher call was the wind was a factor. It was swirling a little bit, and Charles Campbell had missed one. And maybe he gave some input to Josh Heupel on the sideline about what the wind was doing that made him think, hey, a 50-yard kick or whatever it was in this situation isn't going to be easy. Let's just go for it. Or 47, whatever it would have been at that spot. So that's the only thing I would allow. But otherwise, yeah, that, that seemed like a head-scratcher. I'll throw in this, though. I just saw this stat earlier, and I had not seen this on the CBS highlights. This was included. This is Tennessee's first seven-game SEC winning, home winning streak. First time they won seven home SEC games in a row since 1996 to 99. Those were pretty good years for Tennessee football. So they were. Back to what we talked about in, in the first segment. Just enjoy this a little bit, even though I know there's plenty to pick apart, and we'll do that throughout hey, the week, being, obviously. We're being negative in this. Right. Ryan, this is the negative segment. I understand. I don't mean to dump on the negative Everything part. Everything sucks, and everyone sucks, yeah. all right? That's what the second segment but, is. But just pointing out, 96 to 99, that's obviously the end of the Peyton Manning era, the 98 National Championship season, and T. Martins last year. That was a pretty good time in Tennessee football, so... That's a little bit of perspective there about just how hard it is to win these SEC games even at home and to win seven straight. That's, that's a pretty, pretty strong statement about where this program is and where, where it obviously wasn't before that. But since this is the negative segment, I'll go ahead and mention this too. Uh, when, when Gabe Judy Lally gets the ball down to the six-yard line on a basically a pick six late in the game, and before your first and ten, your first and goal play seconds later is a false start, what well, – how how does that even how how can that happen? There there were moments in that game. Tennessee had five red zone possessions 
and scored 13 points off of them. In theory, if Tennessee had, as soon as Tennessee got to the red zone on every single time, all five times, if they just stop and kick a 35 to 37 yard field goal exactly when they get there, they're, they're going to outscore what they had done by sending the offense out there. The, to win a game like that occasionally is a great thing for your program because you show spine, you show stones, you show a lot of good stuff. But you can't do that again. If you leave that many points on the field again, you are going to lose. I, I'm glad you pointed that out because I, 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 sh- I, meant to, I made a note to, to talk about the penalties. That One of the tendencies of Josh Heupel teams kind of quietly is they're penalized a little more than you might think. They go um, fast. They, they, they go fast. That's probably part of it. But they – Going back to UCF, they've been penalized a bit too much. And last year it got glossed over because they were so good offensively, it didn't matter most of the time. This team having the smaller margin for error, that might be an issue in a game that really costs them. Uh, 12 for 115, I think, today, that's just that's entirely too much. Uh, this team's got to clean up a lot of that. It's it's everything. It's not just the offensive line. It's it's uh, it, it's roughing the passer in the in the wrong spot. You know, it's it's uh, pass interference to start the game on, on Tennessee's first uh, I think first defensive snap, Jalen McCullough. So just just too many things going wrong, and I, I don't I don't know how you change that about a team. You just you just got to you know break some bad habits and and tell players to be more focused. But it's it's something that's got to change because this team doesn't have the ability to absorb those kinds of penalties. To your point, in every game that that comes out this this close. Yeah, I don't know how you do that, Ben. I don't know how you sit there. I don't know the right chord to strike when you're talking to your team and saying, listen, you're not as good as you were last season. So uh, play cleaner football because if you do that, are you telling a team, hey, you're not very good? Like, are you hurting confidence a little bit if you if you're that frank about it? But I mean, the margin for error is smaller. You you can't you can't be doing that. No, you you can't. And I don't want this to sound optimistic, uh, especially yeah, around this you is all. The pessimistic um, segment. <laughs> you all are just in general pessimistic. But uh, at, at least tonight, I, I do think. It, it feels off the top of my head. I, I haven't looked at a distinct breakdown of, of what the penalties were, but not a ton of pre-snap penalties and, and procedural penalties. It, it was just not executing your assignment on any given play. I mean, Ali Lane has two holds he, that was just poor technique or, or whatever. I, I do feel like those are different than the procedural penalties that have uh, – bitten them in the butt on on the road and, and they've been snake bitten by uh, and my point in bringing that up again is not to be optimistic about committing penalties but uh, to, to point out that I, I do think that that can be maybe an outlier at times like you are going to have games where because you're not playing well at a particular spot you're going to commit penalties because the, the the skill not necessarily what's going on between the ears uh, but to to adjust that conversation about the penalties in terms of looking ahead to Alabama, it is going to be a big topic of conversation this week. I know it'll be one of the, my main talking points this week and something that I will weigh heavily in, in terms of assessing this game between Tennessee and Alabama on the road. The penalties today were an issue, but they were different than the penalties at South Carolina last year, at Georgia last year, at Florida in the Swamp, and possibly in Tuscaloosa. Like you, you cannot have the pre-snap penalties because you're allowing the environment to affect you. That, that's been something that's kind of been a bugaboo for this program under Josh Heupel so far, and it's something that they're going to have to solve 
quick, fast, and <laughs> in a hurry this week if, if they don't want uh, that to, to be a reason that they lose uh, in, in Tuscaloosa. Because you heard Josh Heupel say it after the game and, and just how big of a killer they are. You, you can't be playing when it's first and 20, second and 20. You, you, you just, you're not going to have success when you do that. So uh, a little bit of something different that Tennessee's going to have to focus on in terms of penalties. I, I think the holding stuff, like you can get those things cleaned up. And that seemed to be a lot of it. Uh, th there was a, a fluky play where, uh, I forget who the penalty was on, but it came down and hit Max Johnson in the face. You typically don't see that. Arion Carter, I think, maybe? Yes. Well, I actually, I think it was on somebody else. And, and but they called, set, they called Yes, Arion. because Carter was falling through the pile and, and kind of looked like it. Like, those can be somewhat fluky. Like, we haven't seen Ali Lane commit back-to-back -back holding <laughs> calls on a drive this entire season. So that's not something that I would – expect to continue it's the pre-snap penalties that concern me with this football team going on the road yeah I think uh, I think we've hit the important notes here I think um, guys I think that's this has been a balanced podcast I think this is what we were we were going for right you want to say hey you don't complain about a win you don't complain about a win over Texas A&M you don't complain about an SEC win uh, you're favored by three you win by seven you're not going to complain about everything some things went really really well for Tennessee in this game however uh, this game was infinitely closer than it needed to be and, and then you, you complain about it you have to mention it I mean yeah. if you it, it depends on the standard you want to set for yourself what do you want to be yeah. what do you want to be as a team as a program and, and you know at some point you transition from back patting yourself over hey look at some of this stuff to um, no no this is Tennessee you're supposed to be better than this so when they exactly get there, we'll see. But uh, some good and some bad and some ugly, but a win. And, 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 and let's face it, things that they've got to clean up because they're going on the road and they've not been a good road team. And that's obviously – you've got to be even better to go win at a place like Alabama, as we'll discuss throughout the week. You know, that's, that's why this stuff is concerning because this is one of your toughest games left on the schedule coming up, Georgia next month too. But this one's on the road. They've, they've got to clean that up on the road. And some of the issues that showed up today, if they play that way next week, they'll probably lose. It's not a vintage Alabama team. Uh, it's not. Yeah. So that you, you should be in that fight, but you got to go play cleaner. If you do that, then we'll see where Tennessee is at the end of that. Anyways, I think there was a lot to discuss in this episode, a little bit longer than, than some postgame pods, but I think justifiably so uh, because we're at home and uh, and uh, we're, we're, we're sitting here. We're, we're all a couple miles away from our own homes here. It's easier to sit here and talk about some of this stuff. It's a big game. And uh, it's a win for Tennessee. And I think there was some stuff, uh, positive and negative, that we needed to discuss. So I'm glad we did that. And I'm glad that y'all were here. Thanks, guys. I'm glad that you're glad about it. Thanks, Wes. Thanks, Wes. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think falls fans will find interesting. Uh, but if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that 
at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys.